What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt today's episode, but I was gifted these period underwear from Lalova and they hold two and a half tampons worth and some of their underwear holds four tampons worth. I couldn't help but think about how awesome it would have been to have these during my miscarriage journey so that it didn't feel like I was wearing a big old diaper all the time and I know some of you can probably relate. So I just wanted to share that they are having a Black Friday sale. Uh, I believe it is is three pairs of underwear for 40% off and six pairs of underwear for 50% off. So I will leave the link in the description of this episode um, and feel free to snag yourself a discount. Now let's get back into it. Hello everyone. We have Rebecca Swanger on today's episode, which is like the coolest last name ever, by the way, Rebecca. (laughs) I love that. Uh, I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about you and your story. Rebecca, I'm just going to toss at you. Start wherever you'd like. Okay. Thank you. Um, So I guess everybody starts here, but my husband and I, we met in 2009. So we've been together a while at this point. I was fresh out of college at 23 He was in grad school, 26. Um, We got married in 2012. Uh, We sort of did things backwards. He had finished grad school but hadn't found a job yet. I had just quit my first job out of college because I was miserable and was sort of trying to figure out what my next steps were. I was nannying at the time, uh, planning to go back to school uh, for occupational therapy, but I hadn't done anything related to that in my undergrad, so I had to do a lot of preparation to go back to school. Um, So we got married and we knew we wanted to have kids, but we also knew we had a lot that we wanted to get done in our personal lives, our careers, before we even thought about that. Um, So fast forward, 2019, I had finished grad school. I was in my current job for about a year. As I said, I'm an occupational therapist at a hospital nearby. Um, I have great benefits, great health insurance. The state that I work in has great maternity leave. All this was sort of very much thought out when I uh, took this job. Um, And so uh, I stopped taking birth control. I had been taking birth control since I was 18. At this point, I was 2019. So I guess I was like 33, 34. Um, Yeah, about 32, 33. Um, And I've been taking birth control for a long time. So I wanted to take some time to get sort of know my cycle off of birth control. Um, and sort of get a sense of what was normal for me. Um, And it turns out that what was normal for me on birth control is about what was normal for me off of birth control. So I've got a pretty regular cycle, not too long, um, not too heavy, not, you know, all of that. Um, So I wasn't really worried about um, hormonal issues, but for some reason in the back of my head this entire time, I think my sister-in-law struggled with fertility. And so I knew that their story very intimately. Um, I sort of had a feeling that it was going to take us a long time. 
Um, and it's funny, if you talk to me, I'll tell you, you were trying from the moment I went off birth control. If you talk to my husband, we were trying for less than a year before I got pregnant. Um, cause I didn't get pregnant until, let's see, we found out June of this year. So June, 2020. So about a year and a half, I would say, cause where my mind was at, but you talk to my husband, he says about 10 months. So it's very funny to have different stories. Um, and so I got my first positive test in June. Um, I had, I think I had had a few chemical pregnancies prior to this, but I had never tested positive. I always wanted to wait um, until I was, you know, more than a week past my period because I was trying to stay as sane as possible, not test too early. Um, and so I never actually tested when I was late because I'd always be late for like a week and planned a test and then my period would come. Um, and it would always be pretty heavy uh, in those times, if that means anything. But again, I never took a test those times, so I don't really know. Um, but I was nervous from the start of this pregnancy. For some reason, there was something in the back of my head throughout it that I just, I knew I was going to have a loss. Um, didn't help that very early on, I think I was about, at this point, about five weeks pregnant, five weeks, six days or so, I started having um, like brown blood when I wiped, nothing, not even like spotting in my panties or anything like that. Just when I wiped heavier in the morning than the afternoon, it happened for about, it started on a Friday. Um, so I messaged my doctor, but you know, Friday morning, they take 24 hours to respond. I didn't get a response until Monday. Um, but as I said, I work in a hospital. Sunday, I had to go into work. It was still happening. So I called the on-call doctor. Um, they told me to sort of finish up my work and come down to the emergency room. So I did that. Um, this is full throes of COVID. So my husband can't even come and meet me. I'm sort of texting and calling him when I can in the emergency room. Um, and they were very concerned the entire time about an ectopic pregnancy. Meanwhile, I'm just nervous that I'm having a miscarriage. Um, they didn't find an ectopic pregnancy. In fact, this is sort of the moment I realized I never wanted any residents working with me. If you're a resident, I apologize. But the resident in the emergency room had the worst bedside manner. Um, it was the most painful pelvic exam I've ever had. And then they, had, they tried to do the abdominal ultrasound and they weren't able to get anything because I was too early. Um, so they did the internal and that was painful. And she just, she was rushing everything. She was very inexperienced. It was just very uncomfortable. And I just decided I didn't want to be anybody's teaching subject from here on out with this pregnancy. Um, and as I said, they were very concerned about an ectopic pregnancy. So concerned that when they found the heartbeat, they didn't tell me. Um, they in fact told the OB docs who came in later and confirmed that I did not have an ectopic pregnancy. I was not, um, Currently, it didn't seem like I was having a miscarriage because the bleeding wasn't heavy. They were calling it a threatened miscarriage. But suddenly, this term bicornate uterus was being brought up. And I had never heard this before. I think I've heard two stories, I guess, so far of women being told they've got bicornate uteruses and then being told that they've got a septate uterus. And I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so this was the first mention of it. The OB docs basically said, we're just going to wait, but we suggest you go to maternal fetal medicine now, um, even though it's early. Do an ultrasound. They're the ones who know what they're talking about with this stuff. They'll be able to tell us that this is something really severe, significant that we need to be concerned about if it's really high risk. So I call the next day, schedule an appointment. I get an appointment a couple of days later at maternal fetal medicine. 
this is all at the hospital that I work at. So I snuck away during my lunch break and went and got an ultrasound that nobody knew about. Um, got the first picture of my baby. We found the heartbeat. It was great. They told me a little bit of bleeding is, you know, it is concerning. You did the right thing, but if it gets any, don't worry unless it gets heavier than this. We, they did see a subchorionic hematoma and they basically said, it's got to make its way out somehow. Um, so don't worry. So I tried not to, but again, I had this gut instinct in me and this sort of brownish discharge was happening for three weeks. Um, and then it stopped and I sort of thought, okay, the, the hematoma is bled out. It's over. I don't need to worry anymore. Um, so about this time, about eight or nine weeks, my um, nausea, exhaustion, all of that seemed to go away. The only symptom that continued that I was still having was I had very vivid dreams this entire pregnancy. I didn't sleep very well to begin with. Um, insomnia is sort of something I constantly deal with. Um, but this was more intense than usual. I was always waking up between the hours of 2 and 5 a.m., I was having very intense dreams um, and stressful dreams, very high anxiety dreams. Um, now granted, there's a lot of civil unrest happening. I live in Philadelphia. I know a lot of people don't say where they are, but this was important because around this time there was a lot of civil unrest happening in, in my neighborhood. Um, and just a lot of scariness happening all around us in the world. Um, and it was a scary time, so I'm sure my stress dreams were having to do with some of that. Um, but I went in for a doctor's appointment at that around that time. The doctor wasn't really concerned about anything, but again, it was too early to do any kind of Doppler. Um, so they did a urine test and sent me on my way. What I thought was interesting is despite the fact that they called it a miss or a um, threatened miscarriage in the ER, they never wanted me to come in for follow-up HCG levels or any other hormonal tests, which... I'll get to it in a little bit, but it's sort of alluding to me needing to change my doctor eventually. Um, so going for my 12-week ultrasound, I was very nervous leading up to this. My sister-in-law had a loss at 12 weeks at their, at their ultrasound um, where they found out that they had had a mis miscarriage. So I was very aware that this was something that could happen and just convinced that it was going to happen to me. Um, and I was nervous because at that point, my husband hadn't been allowed to come to any appointments because of COVID. Um, but the hospital had just lifted their restrictions and he was allowed to come to the ultrasound. So a lot of my stress was sort of dissipating because at least he'd be there with me. Um, so we go into the appointment. I'm very nervous. The tech is very quiet. I notice on the screen, there's not that flicker of the heartbeat that there was at six weeks. And she doesn't say anything. And I ask her if everything's okay. And she does the old, you're going to have to wait until the doctor comes in. So I sort of knew it from the start. She leaves. I tell my husband, I think that, you know, I think I've lost the baby. I think that I've had a miscarriage. I don't think there's a heartbeat. He's trying to be as hopeful as possible. Um, and the doctor comes in. I'm going to start crying again. I haven't cried about this in weeks. Um, this was in August, August 7th. Um, the doctor comes in and says, starts making small talk with me about my medical history, asks me if I've had any kidney problems, because apparently having only one kidney is a um, result of also having a bicorner uterus. I don't exactly understand, but it has something to do with the way you develop in utero. Um, and he then tells me that there is, he's sorry, but there's no heartbeat. And I know 
every story that I've heard about a miscarriage on this podcast, every woman says the same thing is that the, those words haunt them to this day. And as you can hear, it's still causing me to get incredibly upset. Um, and he said, he, this is the first time someone's mentioned a septate uterus. And he goes in and he immediately starts talking about how I'd have a DNC and maybe they'd go in laparoscopically and go in with a camera to see what kind of, you know, to see if it's a bicornerate uterus or if it's a septate uterus. And I'm totally overwhelmed at this point. And so I shut down and just go on autopilot. They wanted to do some blood. They take some blood. We walked out of the hospital, walked to the car. I called my mom. I told her at um, cause I had told my parents and I told my brother and I told some of our close friends, um, partially earlier, about three weeks earlier, or that when I was about seven weeks, I had fainted in front of a couple of friends, um, and felt like I, we had gone out on a walk and felt like I sort of needed to let them know that I was pregnant at that point. Um, so we told some very close friends in the area and all, both my husband and my family live far away. So we had told them cause we sort of with COVID and not being able to see anybody, we wanted to bring them into this as much as possible and wanted to feel as close to people as much as we could. Um, so I called my mom and I told her that there was no heartbeat. And of course she was just trying to be supportive, but she said, are you sure? Are they sure? And I broke down at that point. Um, she was at my brother's house helping them with some childcare and she, uh, put my brother on the phone and my brother and especially my sister-in-law have been some of the most supportive people through all of this. They know exactly what we went through. They went through it too. Um, and my sister-in-law called me every day for weeks, um, or every week, once a week for weeks rather to make sure I was okay. She wanted to respect my space, but also wanted to make sure I was okay. And my brother just was a real support to my husband. Um, so they been awesome through this. Um, and he sort of talked me through what to do for the next few hours. Um, he called one of my close friends and told her um, and asked her if she could tell the rest of her friends who knew, which I so appreciated because I couldn't tell anybody else. Um, I went home, I laid in bed and I just cried. I let my boss know um, because I had told her I was pregnant because as an occupational therapist, I lift people um, for a living. So I felt the need to let somebody at work know that I was pregnant um, early on because just for safety reasons. Um, and I told her and, and I just sort of waited. I had to wait for my doctor to call me. I didn't even realize at that point that there was a choice to take medication until she called me and offered me the choice. Um, but I knew that I wanted to get a tissue sample. Um, and so we opted to do the DNC. And so then I waited for them, for the surgical scheduler to call me and they called me for that. Um, and they scheduled my COVID test because that's the thing that you have to get done before, you know, surgical procedures these days. And my surgery couldn't be scheduled until Thursday of the following week. And this was a Friday. So I basically had to sit at home in quarantine because I had, once I took my COVID test, I couldn't even really leave the house or do even any distance visits with friends. Um, in this weird purgatory of being pregnant and not pregnant at the same time. And I couldn't really do anything. Um, I would try and go out of the house to walk my dog. 
but I'd make it three blocks and just start crying. Um, and I just sat on the couch and cried all week. Um, my parents eventually decided that they were going to come down and they were going to drive down and visit me the day of my uh, D&E. Uh, I ended up having a D&E, not a DNC. I think because the evacuation can be a little, can cause less, can put you at less risk for scarring from what I understand. Um, so, but it's essentially the same procedure. So my parents came down the day of my procedure. Um, they were there when I got home. My husband drove me there. He had to drop me off at the front of the hospital. He couldn't come in with me or help me check in because COVID ruins everything. Um, and I had to get my temperature checked, walk through all the insurance issues. I've got, I had, as I said, I've got excellent insurance working for the hospital. I have not seen one hospital bill except for my emergency room visit um, through this whole thing. And I am so incredibly grateful for that from what I've heard from other women's stories through this podcast. I am incredibly lucky. So I, I'm trying to be grateful for everything that I can through this entire process. Um, and I know this hospital, so I'm being given directions to get to places that I know, but I'm not speaking up to say anything because I don't know what to say. Um, and I just sort of wandered up to the surgical suite, checked myself in there. It was me and one other person waiting there. They called me back. I got changed and all of that. And I noticed that one of the nurses from the floor that I work on, who's left that floor um, and has now gone to same day surgery, is there and she is incredibly pregnant. And I remember texting my husband that says if she even, if she notices me here and she comes and talks to me, I might punch her in the stomach. Um, and I was feeling that way about a lot of pregnant women that I just wanted to punch them in the stomach whenever I saw them, which is not the healthiest attitude to have perhaps, but hey, that's where I was at. Um, and it seemed like everywhere I turned that week, all I was seeing were pregnant women. Um, and so they took me into surgery. And of course, my surgeon, who wasn't my OB, because for whatever reason, my OB couldn't come in that day. Um, she was also pregnant. So she takes me in. And the last thing I remember is switching over onto, from the stretcher onto the surgical table and then just, you know, being asleep at that point and waking up in the recovery room. And once I came to, I sobbed for about 20 minutes. I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And they brought me over to the recovery area and the nurse who I knew came in and she basically said that she wanted to take care of me. She wanted to help me. Um, and Despite the fact that I didn't want her there, she was everything that I needed in that moment. Um, she was the partner that I couldn't be with me. She held my hand until my husband came. She actually, I probably shouldn't say this, but she snuck my husband up um, to come get me when he came. Um, and it was just, she was everything I needed, all of the support that I needed. Um, I went home, my parents, this was a Thursday, my parents stayed for the weekend. Um, and I don't know if I was just feeling better because I wasn't in that purgatory state anymore. Um, or if I was putting on a show because my parents were here. But I started to feel better. Um, I, on Sunday, my parents left and I was supposed to go work, to work that Monday. Um, and I, as soon as my parents left, I just got into a funk and my anxiety started creeping up um, and I 
went into work that Monday. I pulled into the parking garage and immediately started sobbing um, and having sort of a panic attack, hyperventilating. So I had to take an extra 10 minutes in the parking garage to sort of pull myself together um, and walk up to my department. Um, I got there and two of my coworkers who I love um, came and gave me hugs and I started crying and everybody at work wanted me, wanted to sort of give me a light schedule and make my life easier. But I'm the kind of person that needs to stay busy. Um, so I kept saying, telling them to give me work. They kept taking work off my plate. And finally, you know, by the end of the week, they had sort of understood and I had gotten a full schedule. But it's sort of with my friends at home, whenever anybody saw me, I would just start crying. I was able to keep it together at work. But as soon as I would get home, I would be insanely upset um, and just crying unconsolably for hours, unable to do anything but cry for a while. Um, and a lot of my friends had a really hard time with that um, and really got very concerned about me, legitimately so. But we're talking now two, two weeks after my d &E, three weeks after I had found out I had had this mis miscarriage. And my feeling was that I needed some time. Um, I needed to be sad and to be in this place. And I, I ended up isolating a lot from people just because... Nobody seemed to want me to be sad, and I didn't want to be anything but sad for a very long time. Um, and again, I work with people all day in the hospital, so I spend a lot of energy being very happy and peppy. Um, my voice is going to shake through this entire thing. Um, this is just not very like me to do this podcast. So um, I, let's see, I had about two weeks of work to get my head on straight until I had a student who was supposed to be with me. So I really had to pull it together at work. Um, so that was my main focus because my student was gonna be with me for an entire semester, so three months, 12 weeks. Um, and I couldn't be the uh, forgetful mess that I was. And also I think something that nobody tells you when you have a miscarriage, I think it's been said on this podcast before, but it deserves to be said again for anybody who's hearing this for the first time you are postpartum and you are dealing with grief on top of a hormone drop. Um, and that is very real. And you are not, there is nothing wrong with you if all you want to do is cry. Um, I think, I think that's very normal. I would be concerned if somebody didn't feel that way. Um, so about, I want to say a week after my DNA, I went in for my follow-up appointment and I had spent that week with my husband making a whole list of questions. I think I came up with 15 questions for my doctor. And this was sort of sign number two that maybe I should be getting a new doctor. I told her I had a few questions and could I call my, my husband wasn't allowed to come to the appointment, so could I call him and put him on speakerphone so that he could hear the answers to the questions? Because personally, I feel like in these situations, it's always helpful to have another set of ears. Um, and she said, yes, sure, it wasn't a problem. And I pulled out my notebook because, you know, I had been journaling. In, when I had woken up in the middle of the night through this whole thing, I was writing and whatever was going through my mind. Um, and so that was the notebook that I had written all these questions in. 
And I saw her eyes sort of, I could hear her eyes roll as I pulled out this notebook and list of questions. And I I just felt rushed along. As a healthcare professional, I know exactly what happened. Um, this This was an appointment that was supposed to be a certain length of time. I was pushing it past that length of time. I'm sure she has her own productivity requirements that she's got to meet and things like that. But I just felt rushed through these questions. And I felt like she thought I was a crazy person for coming up with all of these questions. And miscarriages just happen sometimes. And don't, don't think so much about this. Um, but she sort of agreed that perhaps it made sense to go get an, alt- or an MRI to rule out a septate uterus. She did not believe I had one. Her feeling was, you've had three doctors look at ultrasounds of your uterus and only one of them has mentioned the thought of a septate uterus. I don't think you have it. I think he's being ridiculous, but let's just do it anyway. So I scheduled the MRI. So we're talking, it's the end of August now. I scheduled the, the MRI for the end of September. Um, the MRI results come back and I've got a septate uterus, except And this was sort of a clincher and I need a new doctor. My doctor called me and said, you've got a septate uterus. How weird. And all along I had sort of had this inkling that I, this is why I had the miscarriage is because of the septate uterus. And anybody, again, I think I'm now the third podcast or the third person that I know of who's recorded on this podcast who's had this issue of a septate uterus. Um, what it is, if you haven't heard of it before, it's a band of fibrous tissue in your uterus. Um, it's usually a vascular and it's basically tissue that shouldn't be there and eggs can't implant on it. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard it, but this can cause, um, this can cause multiple miscarriages. So again, in the list of things I'm trying to be grateful in this, I am grateful that I only had to go through one miscarriage before I found this out. I mean, I wish I didn't have to go through any, but I am grateful that despite the fact that I no longer want to use this doctor, she believed this enough to rule it out and at least get the MRI done. Um, She you know, I may not want to go and see her again, but she at least believed that somebody saw something that was worth investigating. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, but I got a referral to a specialist at the hospital who really focuses on this. Um, inevitably, his name is, I, I, again, maybe this is giving out too much information about where I am and where I work, but his name is Dr. Mama. And I think that that's totally hilarious given his specialty um but he i doing research he's a specialist in this the biggest complaints online about him are that you often have to wait for an hour or more um because he spends so much time with his patients and that was my experience but he spent i although i had to wait when i had my pre-op appointment with him he'd spent that amount of time listening and talking to me and answering all my questions and not treating me like I was a crazy person. Um, and my husband had to come, or was able to come to that appointment, which was also incredibly helpful because again, a second set of ears to hear everything. Um, and we scheduled my surgery and I am currently in quarantine because my surgery is scheduled for Monday. 
Um, I just got, took my COVID test yesterday. Um, got the results this morning that I'm negative, thank goodness, because I've had a couple of scares at the hospital recently that uh, patients of mine that we didn't know were positive were positive. Um, so I'm very glad that I have come back negative um, because now I can look forward to this surgery and go from there. Um, from what I know and what I've heard and read, I theoretically should have no problems after this. If we're going to go by what my gut tells me, if my gut told me my entire time leading up to trying to get pregnant and getting pregnant that I was going to have fertility troubles, um, I am going to believe that the septate uterus was likely the reason why it took me so long to get pregnant and why I even more believe that those late week late periods that I had were actually chemical pregnancies um, because my period is too regular for me to really believe that there's a hormonal problem. Um, if I listen to the anxiety brain, then I will believe that I'm going to have a hard time. Um, but my gut is telling me that this surgery is hopefully going to resolve a lot of our issues. Um, and I'm going to choose to listen to that because my gut hasn't been wrong yet. Um, so I'm trying to be grateful. I'm trying to be positive and just trying to be in the moment. Um, I think it was really important in the beginning of the pregnant, in the beginning of sort of dealing with the grieving process to just be sad and just be angry. Um, I did a lot of journaling. My anxiety and my insomnia were at an all time high through all this. Um, I was waking up in the middle of the night and just replaying that doctor's words, your baby has no heartbeat, your baby has no heartbeat. Um, so I actually decided, as I mentioned earlier, that I was going to start journaling and I just started writing my story. And I would write my story until, you know, write a little bit until I started feeling tired and I'd go to, and that would put me to sleep because I got it out of my brain. And then the next night, the same thing would happen. So I'd pick up where I left off um, and continue writing my story. Um, and eventually I stopped needing to do that. I started sleeping through the night a little bit easier. I stopped crying uncontrollably for no reason. Um, I still get sad, um, as you can see, tell by the way my voice quivered through the beginning of this. Um, I've been, it's been interesting. Leading in the beginning when I first had the miscarriage, I needed to get pregnant right away. I needed to get pregnant again right away so I could get back on track. Um, now, I, and then in the beginning of October, my husband and I went away for our anniversary. It was also supposed to be a little baby moon because I was going to be due in February. So we thought that it would be nice to go away in October because I'd still be feeling good and I could still move around. We could go on hikes and things like that. Um, but we decided to go on the vacation and, you know, it's a little vacation in the mountains anyway. We got, we rented a cabin. It was just the two of us. It was a chance for us to reconnect and disconnect from everything else. Um, and it was like that vacation set the reset button for me. I came back feeling like that maniacal, I need to get pregnant right away so I can get back on track was calmed down and quelled. Um, because I was told by my doc, by my surgeon that I, basically better not get pregnant before the surgery because it would likely result in a loss and it would likely delay the surgery further. Um, and so 
I just sort of had to let things happen as they were supposed to. Um, I also really struggled in the beginning because I'm Jewish and our religion doesn't believe in life at conception. Um, we believe in life at birth and that life begins at birth. And so it was really hard for me to turn to my religion and it was really hard for me spiritually and September and October, um, some of the holiest month, the holidays in our religion occur. And I just felt really disconnected from my religion at that moment. Um, and really angry at my religion that I felt like there was no guidance. Um, so I, that's where this podcast came in. Um, I immediately actually found this podcast and has sort of been listening to it religiously, um, going back in sort of from the beginning. Um, and it's been really helpful to just know that I'm not alone. Know that it wasn't, not that there is something wrong with me. It's hard to sort of believe that there's nothing wrong with me because there's something that needs to be fixed. Um, but it's not that there's something wrong with me. It's just that this is a barrier. Um, and it's one more hurdle. And I accepted very early on that my husband and I were going to respond to this differently. We always respond to sad things differently, um, number one. But number two, he never, because he couldn't come to any of the ultrasounds with me, any of the appointments with me, he always felt very disconnected from the pregnancy and always sort of felt like it wasn't really happening. Um, so he was angry and he was sad because this was our one little piece of good news in a shitstorm of a year, excuse my language. Um, but we all know how bad 2020 has been. So this was our little golden nugget in, the, in this year. Um, and it was sad that we lost it. Um, but we're trying to be really hopeful now. As I said, my surgery is Monday. And I'm just sort of trying to take it one day at a time. And that's that. I feel like it was really disjointed, but that's my story. <laughs> and now you have Dr. Mama. So that's like yes. gotta be, <laughs> right? I feel like that's a sign. I feel like that's a sign. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. What a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like the nicest man ever. Oh. Um, so. uh, well, best of luck on Monday. I always thank you the end of every episode. And honestly, I feel like you already gave so many nuggets of advice, but if you have one like holy grail piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? It's okay to want to be alone. Take that time for yourself. But at a certain point, you're going to need to put on your big girl pants and go be with your friends because they're going to make you feel better. And you need to let yourself feel better at a certain point. You need to allow yourself to feel better at a certain point. And you're not doing anything wrong by letting yourself feel better. You're just allowing yourself to move forward in your life. It's not that you're moving on, that you're moving forward. And you're living your life despite the fact that you had a miscarriage. Um, and you're going to be you. And it's always going to be something that's happened. It's going to be something that's going to change who you are in a lot of ways. But you need to continue to do the things that make you happy. Absolutely. I love that. And if, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Instagram's probably the 
best. I'm not very active on, I mean, I'm snoop on there more than I post on there. <laughs> so feel free to reach out. Um, it, you'll listen, I'm sure, but it's swang shebang at swang shebang. Um, I mostly post pictures of my nieces because they make me, my nieces and now nephew, because um, they make me happy. And I do have to say, I don't know if she'll ever listen to this because she's the only person besides my husband who knows that I'm recording this. I sort of something I told her, I sort of want this to be something that happens and I never talk about again. But my sister-in-law had a baby in July. She's had three, after having years of fertility struggles through IVF, has had three babies in four years um, and is really struggling. Um, but she has managed to be a huge support to me and I just want to thank her. I don't know. Again, I don't know if she'll ever hear this, but she has just been a huge support to me when I know that she's going through a really tough time herself. So reach out to the people that you love because they'll reach back in a huge way. It's also a huge piece of advice. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so cute. I love that. <laughs> I love sisters. I got two of them. <laughs> yeah. I, she, sister-in-law, you know, my oh, brother's a wonderful you know. sister-in-law, <laughs> but you know, I actually, we inherited, I inherited two because I got her sister in it in the deal as well. So I got two sister-in-laws for the price of one. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much, Rebecca, for doing this. I thank you so much. It's going to help so many people. And I hope that it helped you too in the healing. It, did. it did. It did. And thank you for this podcast, Shelly. It's been a godsend for me. Good. Well, I'm glad that it found you. Um, I couldn't do this without you girls, so I appreciate you. And I will talk to you soon. Good luck Monday. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. Just leave.